congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We just heard the word of God read in our ears. May God bless it to our hearts by his spirit. And we read from, our elder read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is not where we're going to be spending most of our time. We'll be spending most of our time in Romans chapter 12. But I wanted, I wanted to have read uh, one of the passages, and there are a handful of passages in the New Testament that speak about spiritual gifts, the purpose for spiritual gifts, an enumeration of them or a list of them, and so on. And I want you hopefully to see the similarities between the passage in Romans 12 that we're studying and the passage here in 1 Corinthians 12 as well, which is the life of the body, right? That, that God has organized the body just so. We read that, right? God has organized each member in the body just so. Okay, there's, there's, God's put the body together with all its parts, and that he's gifted each member of the body exactly as he wants. He's made the body how he wants, and he's gifted the body how he wants. Okay, that's the, the first thing to see. This is, this, is, uh, this is God's work in the church. Sometimes we look around, or maybe we look, just look at ourselves and think, well, what gift do I have? What do I have to contribute to the body here? Um, sure, you know, elders and pastors and deacons, they have things to do and they have offices, but I'm not an elder or a pastor or a deacon, so what could I do? And the answer is clearly God's given you gifts. They are, uh, there's a whole range of gifts, and we've kind of talked about some of them. We'll talk about some more of them today. But what you should be thinking is, okay, God, well, what gifts do I have? And how do they factor into building the Church of Christ right here? Right, right, right in the congregation that, that God brought us into. And then from here, outward. Right? How do we take the, the benefits, the glories, the, the skills, the talents, the gifts of the church of Jesus Christ and minister to the world? Minister outward as well as ministering inward. A couple of thoughts about 1 Corinthians 12 before he looked at, at the list, of the last four of the list in Romans 12. And that is this kind of interesting way Paul introduces this thing. He says, now, concerning spiritual gifts, and then he says... Uh, I don't want you to be uninformed, but you used to serve mute idols. The contrast is a dumb idol, a mute idol, and the true and living God who speaks. Right? And the, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God undivided. Not three parts of God or three gods or some nonsense like that. One God undivided. The third person speaks. God speaks. He's not a mute idol. He is the true and living God, and therefore speaks. And he says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, which is, say, anathema. The word there is anathema, which works its way into church history and so on. But no one by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. Jesus is anathema. Now, just as a kind of interesting point, I'm saying those words. Paul wrote those words, right? Jesus is accursed. Jesus is anathema. But he's, you know, obviously people can utter words and not mean them. I think the point is this. The spiritual world is binary. There are two parts of it. There is the Holy Spirit of the living God, the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of Christ, given to Christians. In fact, we're baptized into us. All of us are baptized by the Spirit into the body, he says a little later on, there in a moment. And there's everything else. Okay? There is the true and living God. The Father who sent His Son, and the Father and the Son who sent the Holy Spirit, and this church that He's building. That's the one track of spiritual reality, and then there's everything else. And it's only by the Spirit of God that we know Jesus is Lord, that we can say Jesus is Lord, which means to say that He is our Master. We serve Him. 
He's the man. We're the slaves. Okay, it's that simple. He's the one. He's our leader, and he's our, uh, he is our head. He is our Lord. No one can say that and mean it, except by the Holy Spirit. Which means that if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not going to say that and mean it. You might utter the words. You might occupy your place in the pew, or little seats that we have. You may put on the right clothes at the right time. But unless you have the Spirit of God, you're not tracking with this thing. You're on the other track. Those are the two options. And so you might say, well, Pastor, I, I don't know if I have the Spirit of God. I don't know if, if, if this is uh, true of me. I don't know. Sometimes I, I, I believe, sometimes I feel strongly, but then other times I'm weak and I doubt. How do I know if I've had this reality? Well, look down to verses 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, okay, that's continuing with the analogy of the body and the church as a body. Um, and it's not just interesting, you know, side note again, it's not just issues of perception. It says, well, there's the ear and there's the nose. Well, we hear with the ear, we smell with the nose, uh, and so on. But also hands and feet. Right? It's not just perception, it's function. Right? There's all kinds of functionality in the body of Christ, and the Holy Spirit gives all of that. And here we are. And so, coming to verse 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, so all of the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into the one body. When were we baptized by the spirit into the body of Christ? Have you received spirit baptism? I can tell you any number of sermons I've heard well, that's the question, but this isn't what's meant here. So, sure, you're a Christian. Sure, you, you believe. But have you experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Have you experienced the spiritual baptism and the gifts and things that go with it? And that's kind of brought into a Pentecostal or charismatic sort of, uh, sort of understanding of this thing. But I tell you that this passage wars against that. It tells us what? That every member of the body of Christ is baptized by the Spirit into the body. When did that happen, Christian? You keep reading. For we are all one, baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. We are all made to drink of the one spirit. What language is that? Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. It's baptismal language. That's the language of baptism. If we look through the book of Acts we we'll find that the baptism that the apostles and the, and the disciples give with water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, or sometimes shorthand, being baptized into Christ Jesus, is spirit baptism. The water and the spirit go together. God's, God's connected his own power with the very device that he's put before us, which is to say, washing with water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Therefore, listen, if you have the ear of faith and the eye to see it, when you are baptized with water by a minister saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, you were baptized by that Spirit into the body of Christ. And you were gifted and put just where God wanted you in that body. Given just the gifts that God wanted to give you and He'll give you as, as time goes on. This is God's deal. It's not our deal. We don't make the rules. He makes the rules. And he says, you've all been baptized. There's neither Greek nor Jew, slave nor free. You're all made to drink of one spirit that is coming into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, all that's received by faith. 
You can receive baptism and have no faith and not receive the blessings of that baptism, but very much receive the curses of the covenant under that baptism. So there's, there's that reality. But this is written to faith. This is written to you and say, I, I want to know. I want, I want to know that I'm in Christ. I want to know that these things being said are said of me too. It's, it's true of me just like it's true of the body of Christ. And the answer is, are you a member of the body of Christ? Have you been baptized into the Christian church? Well, there's your point. Look there. Look to that sacrament. Look to that rite. Look to that washing. That's not a washing by the hands of men. It is God's own washing for His people. And it is, this, it is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it is being made to drink of that Spirit, all of us, all of us, each member. So there aren't different tiers of spirituality where, sure, you're a Christian, but you don't have the Spirit. That's an awful mistake, and it's a tremendous mistake that's been made for now over 100 years uh, within the Protestant Church in particular, but beyond that. And that's a charismatic problem. Say, we're more spiritual than you because we have these gifts and you don't. Defies what's being written in the central passage around spiritual gifts that all members of Christ have been baptized into the body by the Spirit. We've had spirit baptism. We drink of the same Spirit because that's how God has organized the body to go. He's put us each into our place and He gives us all the gifts that He wants us to have for the body to run for the body to exist and keep perpetuating, keep, keep moving forward and, 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 and growing together as we exercise these gifts. And so here's the last point before we look at the gifts in Romans chapter 12. The body grows, Christians, by you exercising your gifts. By the Holy Spirit's work in you, the gifts in you, and you exercising, using those gifts for the benefit of your brothers and sisters around you in Christ. That's how the body works. That's how God the Holy Spirit blesses us and, and gives us things that we need to serve Him in our very own time, right now, is by sharing the gifts that God has given one with another. That's how the body of Christ works. Now flip back to Romans 12. I'll just read the small passage starting in verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. And here are the three that we looked at last week. If prophecy... In proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, and then these last four, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So we looked last week at prophecy, which I tried to make the case is just a declaration of God's word. Knowing what God has said, according to the scriptures that's written, or possibly the Holy Spirit giving uh, revelation and new information to prophets, which they would declare to the people of God or to the world, depending on what their audience is. But the prophet is one who declares the word of God, who declares the things of God. Not, not the guy who just you know, can foretell the future or do things like that, although sometimes prophets, God's given them to know the future and declare that as well. Typically, a prophet is just simply declaring the word of God, saying, thus says the Lord. This is what God has said, and often to the very people of God. The second one in service, and we saw that first one, maybe it lands as far as an office, certainly through Christ, and it lands in, in the office of a, 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 a pastor, right? one who comes and heralds the word, one who comes and preaches the word of God. The second gift listed here in, in Romans chapter 12 is service. And that's a very broad term, and it encompasses all sorts of service, uh, of course, Jesus Christ is the great servant who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom 
for many. But he also gives us the, the blessing to serve, and that maybe we can find uh, oriented in the, in the office of deacon, which is the word here for servant, and that's the idea that the deacon is a servant of the church and serves these various capacities, but we're all called to be servants, and God gives these gifts to the different folks in the body as well. And finally, of the three we looked at last week, we have prophecy, we have service, and we have teaching. So the one who teaches and is teaching, and I discussed some of the difference, like proclaiming the word of God isn't the same thing as teaching the word of God. Uh, proclaiming is, is, is really, thus says the Lord, listen up, open your ears and listen. The teaching is more analytical, it's more ordered, uh, it's, it's working through carefully ideas and, 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 and comparing them. and, and work, So there's, there's a lot more labor in that aspect of teaching than there would be in proclaiming. And that's the interesting things we'll, we'll come to. Our first one is exhortation, where those all kind of work together. For instance, if you have a preacher, you, you want him to proclaim well. He wants him to prophesy in proportion with his faith. You also want him to be able to teach. That's one of the things the Bible says about an officer, an elder, should be apt to teach, able to teach. That is to say, organize information and, and get it across in an intelligible way to the people of God that they would grow by it, that they would understand more of the Lord and grow by it, but also exhortation. We'll get to it in a moment. Uh, we want that to be in mix as well. So you can see how these gifts aren't just one-to-one or just like, you know, sealed off little you know, you know, sections where you don't move from one to the next. But God gives all sorts of gifts and all sorts of combinations in people. And we see that as well from preaching, that is prophesying, to serving in the church, and even the teaching in the church as well. So let's look at the first one of our four, the last four, which is exhortation. Verse 8, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. Now, the one who exhorts, that, that word exhortation, is a word that's an interesting word. Uh, para kaleo is the verb, one we were looking at kind of before. Para is a prefix that means alongside of, typically. And kaleo means to call. So, to para kaleo means to kind of call someone up next to you for help. Right? You, you need assistance. You need someone to help, and so you would call someone beside you to aid and to help. That's what the basic literal meaning of the word is. It comes across in English, typically in translation, as exhort or encourage. Right? Those are both, uh, both translations of this, this word as it, comes into, as it comes into English. I'm going to read from John 14, 16, my tack here, just in case you didn't figure it out last week and you're thick enough you won't figure it out this week unless I tell you. All of this is in Christ Jesus. Every one of these gifts are Christ. And then he gives them out. And he gives them out in different ways through the body, sometimes in official ways, and other times not. Just his spirit working and giving these gifts. But they're all, they're all Christ to us. And we must see all these gifts in him first and seek them in him by his spirit. So I'll flip over to John fourteen sixteen, And this is in association with Jesus as the encourager or the paraclete. There's the, the, the noun form of paracleo is paraclete, and that's the encourager. That's the helper we see with Jesus and the Holy Spirit here. And we read it from verse, uh, well, I'll start reading from verse 15 in John 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, notice another helper, who will be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So here we have a teaching of Jesus around the Holy Spirit. And of course, if we know 
that section of John, John 14, 15, and 16, all together are just full of instruction about the Holy Spirit. Right? The Spirit that Jesus is going to send when he goes away. So if we understand Jesus' teaching on the Holy Spirit, this is the section for us, chapters 14, 15, and 16 of John. Well, Jesus is a paraclete. Jesus is a helper. Jesus is an encourager. What does the word encourage mean? Just the word by itself. Etymologically, in is in. Encourage is core. To build up your heart. Right? To, to, to speak or come at you in such a way that you're encouraged and built up. Your, your heart is built up. Your heart is not lagging, not depressed, not despondent, but hopeful and looking forward. Christ is that. Christ is the great encourager. How is that? Because he takes dead sinners and he gives them life. He takes the heart of stone and gives the heart of flesh. He brings us to life. You who were dead in your trespasses and sins, God hath made alive in Christ Jesus. What could be more encouraging than that? What could be more exhortational than that than to be brought to life from the dead because God's power at work in us? Jesus indeed is the great encourager, the paraclete, and his sends, he sends as he ascends to heaven another helper, another paraclete, the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Christ. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our God is an encouraging God. And an exhorter, someone who is going to bring words to encourage, bring words to help you out, bring, bring words to build you up in Christ Jesus. You want that from your prophet, don't you? I think so. You want that from your teacher, don't you? You want a teacher who's encouraging and builds you up? Or one who kind of runs you down? I used to have a seminary professor. He'll remain unnamed uh, as far as that goes. But I had to work so hard in his classes just to keep up. Just to keep up. Like to figure out what's coming next. And he blew people out of, that, out of his classes like crazy. Um, I was, and there was a certain amount of encouragement in that. I love working hard. But, man, I walked away from class just feeling like I got sucked in the head with a stick. Um, like it was so hard and just had to process all that. Well, to me, that's kind of encouraging, but to a lot of folks, it was very discouraging. And then they'd sit under a guy like Dr. Battle, for instance, at the seminary, who knew a tremendous amount, but was able to teach in such a way that he'd just build you up. He'd just encourage you in, in, in what he's teaching. Well, we want that encouragement. We want it in our preaching, our prophetic work, uh, starting with the first gift, but also in the teaching. We want this exhortational, this encouraging reality. Other than God Himself, the Son of God, the Holy Spirit, the Triune God. Where do you what, make, what do you think of in the New Testament when you think of encouragement? Well, maybe you think of the Son of Encouragement, Barnabas. Barnabas, the great encourager of the Book of Acts, uh, the the one who went. Remember, you recall. Remember when we preached through Acts back when? It was way back then. But anyway, when Barnabas goes and connects up people because they don't like Saul, he's not trustworthy. But Barnabas says, no, he can work. To, he, he comes together and brings them together in encouragement so that the great apostle Paul can do his work in Jerusalem and with the other apostles. He, he's the one who brings that together. They call him Barnabas because that means son, Bar, of encouragement. He's an encouraging brother. Now, let me ask you a very simple question. How important is that? How important is it, Christian, that you are encouraged by someone in the Lord? In the Lord? How important is it that you encourage someone in the Lord, particularly if this is your gift? 
some people have gifts where they can just get in there and, and, and speak words and pray, and God, God builds up the heart. God removes some of the weight of the burden because of this person who's able to get in there and bear it with you. Oh, Christian, it's so important that you exercise this gift. If you're the kind that, t- that tends to encourage and build people up, do it! Do it for the sake of your pastor, for the sake of your elders, for the sake of your brothers in Christ. Build us up. Encourage us. We need it. This is such an important gift. We need more Barnabases in the church by the power of that spirit of exhortation, that spirit of encouragement, the spirit of Jesus. So if you have this gift, Christian, use it. Give it away. We all need it. And I remember R.C. Sproul saying, uh, that he wouldn't have done any of the things that he accomplished in his life if it weren't for Christians coming up next to him to encourage him in the process. He didn't have the heart to finish school, ligony, or whatever it is, until people come up and say, hey, let's do this, let me help you out, or that's not, whatever. However that encouragement goes, and that prayer, and those words, um, he was unable to do what he was called to do as a teacher in the church without someone encouraging him. In fact, throughout his life, many points, people encouraging him. So please... Use this gift if you have it. The first gift is exhortation. The second gift here is the giver. It says the giver, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes, that's the giver, in generosity. The word giver here means simply to give, to impart something, to share something. And who is the great giver? Of all. Is not God the great giver of all? Has God not created the heavens and the earth? Has God not given you life? Did you give yourself life? You think that was up to your parents in a moment of passion to give you life? That's how it works. But it's God who gives the life. God is the giver from the beginning. He's the giver of everything. Everything flows from Him. Without Him there is nothing. There is no thing apart from reality that is God. And what he has created. And his creation is gift. His creation is giving. God is the great giver. And who shares with us? God. Who is the great giver of God himself? Who gives away and imparts God to us and shares God with us other than the God-man himself? God sent his son that we should participate in him. That he would give us himself. So the gift... Of giving is a gift that is, again, just reveals the way God is. It reveals the nature of God himself, who is a giver, who gives. And Jesus Christ is the one. Now, if we look back in Romans, we've been studying through this back in chapter 1, Paul expresses the notion that, hey, he wants to get up there to Rome to meet these brothers who he's not met before in order to, in verse 11, chapter 1, impart to them, share with them some spiritual gifts. He wants to minister and share with them. As, as a minister and apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there's the Christian heart right there. God's the giver. Christ has given us God, communicates God himself to us, and makes us generous in the way we give, particularly in the way we give away God. We can't outgive God. And that goes from finances to emotions to church matters to whatever. We cannot outgive God. He is the infinite giver. And we model ourselves after him through Christ Jesus. Uh, through whom we have God. First Corinthians, let's turn to First Thessalonians, chapter two. Starting at verse seven, Paul Paul is telling this this member of the Thessalonians 
a church that he was run out of town, out of Thessalonica, after having just started to minister there, is run out of town and is, is anxious about them and sending both of these letters pretty quickly after he left town. Verse 7, he says, But we were gentle among you. He says, We could have commanded you. We're apostles. We could have commanded things of you, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. There's an image for you. Um, how gentle are mothers with the nursing babies? That's like the apostle with these churches. That's awful gentle. That's awful gentle. Being So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you, there's the word to give, right, to impart, to, to participate with you. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So not only is there a sharing and impartation of the good news of God through Jesus Christ, but even the hearts of believers themselves are bound together, and we share ourselves one with another. Part of giving is the love of the body because of the love of the head. Jesus Christ has loved us and given us God himself through the gospel. We give that away and we share our hearts one with another as well as we give. It says, in the one who gives, the one who contributes in generosity. In generosity. That word generosity, we can, yeah, that's a pretty straightforward word for us. Being generous, uh, giving freely, giving liberally. Right? But the word means more than just kind of freely and liberally. It means with sincerity and with simplicity. Giving with sincerity how does that fall on your ears? A sincere giver. Uh, one whose heart is in the giving. Not in what they can get back from the gift, but in the sincere gift. The love of giving to the brothers in Jesus Christ, or even giving to the world. The proclamation of the gospel. Or in simplicity. A simple gift. What is a simple gift? Reminds me of the song, Simple Gifts. It is a gift to be simple, it is a gift to be free. What's a simple gift? It's one without ulterior motives. It's one without strings attached. It's one without the agenda. It's just a gift. It's just love that gives. Just like God is love that gives. Just like Jesus Christ is the one who in love came and gave His life. So we in turn should receive that and give it away continually. Again, we cannot outgive God. We're not more generous than the Almighty. He is the one who is the great gift Himself through Jesus Christ. And so, therefore, we give gifts. The one who has the gift of, of giving gifts, if you have this, uh, that you love to give to people. You love to impart something to them to help them in simplicity. Not because you're trying to make them your debtor. It's just reading, I think it's like Aristotle, who's talking about gifts and giving, and it's like it's, it's appropriate if you receive a gift that you give one back, which is totally the case in the ancient Greek world, that this, this way of giving and receiving gifts kind of puts people in debt, right? If I give Alicia a gift, hey, down the road, you better give one to me or we're not even here. And once you give one back to me, now I've got to give one back to you. So it kind of perpetuates this gift giving. That's this kind of Greek Aristotelian thought and gifts. That's not this. This is giving with simplicity. This is giving without ulterior motives. I want to give to Alicia because I love Alicia and I love the Lord, not so that she'll give back to me. And she'll give back to me because she loves the Lord and loves the body. That's how it goes. Right? We're not putting each other in debt. We're giving with simplicity, sincerity, and generosity because, Christian, look at the gift that you've been given. Don't pay attention to it much. Watching football running the kids around to sports practice. We get lost in all this stuff. You've been given the gift, Christian, of eternal life from the dead. 
What a gift in Christ Jesus. Now, be amazed by the generosity of Almighty God, who has every reason not to give that gift. Every reason not to give that gift. But he gives it anyway, because that's how he is. God is generous. He is a giver. And he has given us life through Christ Jesus. May we in turn give life and gifts and simplicity one to another and to the world. So we have the exhorter. We have the giver. But we also have the leader. Someone who leads. Here's a gift by the Holy Spirit to the people of God of leadership. Which is interesting. The one who leads with zeal. With interest and, and zeal. So the leader, of course, is one who exercises a position of leadership. Of rule, the one who directs the people of God. There's a there's a overseeing and directing aspect to leadership. The one who is out at the head of something, leading, and everyone's following. They're following that leader. Now, this particular office of leading, of course, is God. Who's the great leader? But God Himself, and who's the one who has shown us the way? But Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. And he's the great leader of the people. And that's that, the beginning of the first. Corinthians 12 passage, no one can say except by the Spirit, Jesus is Lord. Well, what does Lord mean except leader? The master, the one who rules over us and directs us. As far as I know, and I don't think this is false, Jesus is never referred to as our Savior and our Master in that order, but always as our Master, our Lord, and our Savior. Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Our master first, the one who leads us, and the one who saves us. He is the great leader of the church of Jesus Christ. Now, where does this leadership, when it comes from Jesus Christ to his church as a gift, where does that leadership tend to fall? Is there an office that picks up this kind of leadership? You bet. The elder. Right? The elder is the one who leads. He's the overseer. The bishop is the overseer, right? The one who rules and directs and protects and that sort of thing. So, again, there's an office here that this leadership tends to fall into. But what if you're not an elder? Does that mean you don't have the gift of leadership? Not at all. We all have the, the reality of leadership in all sorts of ways in our lives. You might say, well, I'm a homeschool mom with two kids. How am I a leader? You lead those two kids, at very least. You have a family there that you're required that God's put in front of you to lead. To, to step in front of and show the way to. Christians, are you showing the way of God to people in your life? Your neighbors? Your friends? Your family? Are, are you leading in that way? Are you showing them what God requires and, and living that out in front of them that they should follow you? Even as the Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Christ is the great leader. Of God's people. He is the head. But he's given us many leaders in, in ways in the church and gifted us and said, now listen, if you find yourself in a position of leadership, in a position of being out in front of ruling and directing, do it zealously. Do it with energy. Lead the people. By God's power, lead the people and do it zealously. We are all leaders in some capacity. But we also have to know how to be led in other capacities, or maybe even in the same. Right? Leadership is an important reality that, I, don't know, I remember as a kid in school, like it was the thing, oh, you guys all need to be leaders. I'm like, well, if we're all leaders, then who's following? Right? I mean, a leader has a following, or else he's just taking a walk by himself. Right? Um, so there are particular points at which we need to lead if God's given that gift to us and given the position to us. But there are many ways in which we need to follow the leadership. 
and encourage the leadership and use our gifts. Say, my gift's encouragement, and there's a leader who needs to be zealous. Well, that encouragement can come encourage that leader to be zealous, then those gifts work together. You see, and all these gifts work together. God brought them together in such a way. So the leader needs to lead with eagerness, with enthusiasm, and with zeal. So God's given that gift in the church as well. Finally, a mercy worker. A mercy worker. Here it is. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. From Romans chapter 9 and verse 16. I'll start at 14. What shall we say then? And of course, is Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. That incredible doctrine. The difficult doctrine of election and the eternal election of God. What shall we say then? Is there injustice with God? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. In other words, God is sovereign as he dispenses his mercy and grace to sinners. He does it how he wants. So then, verse 16, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Do you see? The entirety of our salvation entirely depends on the mercy of God. God is a mercy worker. He works mercy. He helps people who need help. He helps those who cannot help themselves. And He helps those who do help themselves. He helps them all. It's all His mercy. And He gives His mercy, the Scripture says, explicitly how He wants when He wants. Not how we want. Not how we ask. Not how we exert and do. That's the God helps those who help themselves routine. Okay, that's the sub-Christian reality, although Christianity encompasses that. But listen, if God helps those who help themselves, then just write out half the Bible. Just like that. God helps the helpless. God helps those who cannot help themselves. Even if they're trying, they can't help themselves. They're stuck. They need mercy. They need God not giving them what they deserve, but giving them something better than they deserve. That actually is what mercy is, isn't it? God not giving us what we deserve, but giving us something better than that. God is the ultimate and absolute mercy worker. He gives us stuff that we do not deserve, top to bottom. 100% we don't deserve it, yet He gives it in His mercy. And that goes all the way from eternal election and salvation down to the nuts and bolts of daily life and the things that we need by the mercies of God. Christian... We're said here with this gift, we are the hands and feet of God, the merciful. God who is merciful, we, we are the hands and feet. We're the ones who, by this gift of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ, are to be merciful one to another. Not giving each other what we deserve. You know, maybe the guy on the other side of the pew or sitting over there at these tables say, oh, well, I'll tell you what he deserves. A few weeks ago he said this or did this or never gave back my shovel or whatever it is that gets us all... Uh, in a twist. And we know what he deserves. But Christian, we're called to be merciful. Not to give people what they deserve, but to give them something better because God has shown us the way in that. And that goes all the way down to just simply helping people. All the way to down to uh, picking up Cheerios and, and our, just here's a practical application right now, uh, all the uh, cookies, by the way, eat these cookies over here in the box. Uh, and now will come in their own you know, individually sealed bags. Uh, those individually sealed bags I see over the floor. 
So let's make sure that we do the act of mercy of cleaning up after ourselves so the people who clean and organize don't have to bear all the weight of that. You might say, well, Bill deserves to bear all the weight of it. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. But the act of mercy is to say, it doesn't matter. I'm going to help. I'm going to be involved in this. I'm going to take the weight off someone's shoulders. I'm going to bear the load of this brother. Not because they deserve it, but because God's that way. And he calls us to be that way. So here's this gift of mercy. Being the hands and feet of God. Serving people. Giving people not what they deserve, but better than they deserve. Because we are imitators of Christ, who has done just that with us. And we're supposed to do that, those who have this gift of, uh, of mercy, working with cheerfulness. With wholeheartedness. With gladness. That's the way we're supposed to give works. Not, not grudgingly. Not saying, oh, you deserve this, but I'm not going to give it to you under your breath. And that's what, No, no, no. With cheerfulness. A cheerful heart. And as we have in our text here in the ESV, cheerfulness. So when you give mercy, when you help people out, when you're at Columbia Pregnancy Center, when you're serving in the soup kitchen, when you're helping here at the senior center do lunch, if they did lunch anymore, when you're doing all sorts of things, when you're going to visit the sick, when you're checking out the audience and giving Janice a hug and praying for whatever it is, whatever these works of mercy are, you do it with a cheerful heart. How do you do that? How do you give away? How do you give of yourself with a cheerful heart? You look to the God who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross for you, who went to death for you, who went to the tomb in the, in the wrath of God, Almighty, for you, and came back up in the grave and said, Okay, Lord, give me cheerfulness. Give me cheerfulness. Help me to have an open heart and a, and a, and a generous heart in exercising all these gifts, God. How can I glorify you in building the body of Christ with these gifts that you've given me? How do they fit together? How do I give it away? And that brings us just full circle, that the gifts of the Spirit, these ones, the ones that are enumerated in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians as well, these are all gifts that God's given to you, to the people of God, for building up the body, for building us up in maturity, for growing us up as we serve one another by the gifts of the Spirit. So, Christian, I'll ask you again for now three weeks running. What are your gifts? What are they? And the admonition to use them. You know what your gifts are? Use them. Use them to build up the body. Uh, and there are all these different sorts of gifts. And again, this are just, these are just categories. There are lots of them. Some of them were born with. Some of them are given by the Spirit as a, like a particular unction and gift. But whatever it is, they're from God and they're for building up the body of Christ so that the gospel can be adorned with a body of believers, with the church of Jesus Christ that loves their Lord, but also loves the body around them. Loves the... the, the, the the believers, the Christians, the ones who are baptized, even those ones that are kind of unseemly, like we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, on whom we give more honor. So Christians, we are blessed to be in a body together. Let us love one another. Let us love the Lord Jesus Christ who has given himself for us, who is the great preacher. He's the great prophet. He's the great servant. He's the great teacher. Jesus Christ himself is the great exhorter. Jesus Christ himself is the one who gives to us. He is our leader. And he is the one who gives us the mercy of God. Let us be like the Lord Jesus as we receive from him. So let us give. Amen.